Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Good morning. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. I am really pumped about today's episode because I think it is just, it's emotional. I cried at one point, Um, but I think it's going to be really helpful for anyone who's listening, specifically anyone who's dealt with any type of physical trauma, and even more specifically, anyone who has dealt with brain trauma. So today we are joined by Jazz Leaf, who is the founder of Recipes for Health. She is a recipe creator, e-cookbook author, now virtual cooking class instructor. She also was a spin instructor and has been a professional chef for some NBA players, which is so fucking cool. However, all of those things we don't really discuss, even though Jazz is incredible at all of them. This episode is way more focused on our mutual healing journey from brain trauma that was induced from um, two car accidents. Well, two meaning we each experienced one. Um, I do definitely want to provide a trigger warning for anyone who has experienced a form of physical trauma, especially if it is car related. I know my mom is going to hate this episode because we both share the details of our accidents and it's not always easy. Um, It's not, it's definitely not an easy story to tell. I don't know. It brings up a lot of emotion for me, but I'm so grateful that Jazz was so open and honest and vulnerable to share not only the details of her accident, but also we dive in a lot to discuss the recovery journey because there is no recovery like brain trauma recovery. And it has been a difficult and very long journey for us both. And we share the ins and outs of all of that. So I hope this helps anyone out there who is currently struggling with an injury like this and feeling alone because we too very much have felt that way and, you know, sometimes still do. Either way, I hope you guys enjoy. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Let me know your thoughts. Share in your Instagram stories. Tag me and Jazz at Recipes for Health. And, you know, just sit back, listen, enjoy, relax. Have a great Friday. Jazz, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, you are so sweet. Um, You just said before we started recording that you are a listener of the show, which I so appreciate and I love because then I don't have to explain all my questions and we can just dive right into it. So how would you define success? I love that. Um, 
Okay, so this question is actually one of my favorites because a long time ago, I felt like, I guess all through growing up, I felt like success came from like your job, how much money you made, your title, all that kind of stuff. And I quickly realized after I graduated from college and jumped right into the corporate world, I just quickly realized that success doesn't come from all of that because I had all of that and I was still going to bed unfulfilled. I was making good money. I had the dream job that everyone wants, climbing the corporate ladder. And when I put my head down on the pillow at night, I just felt like that I wasn't fulfilled. My heart and soul like wasn't in my life. And so I quickly from that point, like I learned that success completely comes from fulfillment and just basically doing what you feel like you were called to do. Um, so I think that that's kind of a, a long winded answer for success it comes from personal fulfillment. I mean, you know, I agree with that. I felt like I had checked off all the boxes. I had the job that everyone wanted who was my major. It was at the top firm. And yeah, I had great monetary and fiscal success. And that's not something to totally be overlooked. However, I felt the same way going to sleep. I was like, I'm just not, this isn't jiving for me. Like I want so much more. I want to do so much more. And that kind of like voice in the back of my head of there are other things you want to do, like take this chance. That for me led me to this position and job and whatever we want to call what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, but for me, obviously it's not as fiscally beneficial yet. Maybe it will be one day, but it's so much more fulfilling from a personal level. I completely agree with you. And I think at a young age, especially our parents' generation, we were trained, and I think this is how they were raised, is like, you got to make the most money, you got to go and kind of build up in the corporate ladder. And it's our generation that I really feel like is changing that. And it's getting more and more, uh, I guess you could say, common for people to just kind of start their own thing, go after their own dreams, personal fulfillment, joy, and all that kind of stuff. So I agree with you. It's not fiscally there. Um, I don't know if it ever will be, but gosh, I can't tell you the quality of life for me has gone so, so much higher just after going after like what I actually feel like I was called to do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of privilege that comes with this conversation that I always like to address, but I also think that it's really our generation that's focusing on like the work-life balance of it doesn't need to be a grind 24 fucking seven all night long, like the generation above us kind of cultivated this like toxic work culture almost. When I think back to my days in the corporate world of just how toxic some of the behavior was, and especially if I think about the banking side of things, you know, it's not saying that you don't have to work hard, but it doesn't have to encompass every single second of your life for an unnecessary reason, if that makes sense. hundred percent. I can totally relate to that. Even I'm like translating that exact characteristic that I still struggle with into my current job and my life. Same. Yeah. It's so hard to find a balance, but it's a work in progress. And I think with more and more people talking about self-love, self-care, and it's just practice, really. It's like putting yourself first. It's so hard to do, but um, I think with time, we'll all get it. <laughs> It's really hard. And, you know, the toxic work culture is so deeply ingrained in my mind. And 
you know, I have a really hard time shutting off and telling myself to slow down and just doing a little bit less or being like, honestly, working more efficiently. And that looks like maybe working less at times, but it is in the end more efficient. And I think for me, something that really sparked this change and shift in mindset was honestly what caused me to leave the corporate world was my car accident, which I know that we can definitely relate on. So can you give us kind of your story I don't know how to, I mean, I guess like what happened, your accident, like that whole situation. (laughs) Yeah, I will. Um, Totally. Yeah. So, okay. So it was in 2019 in May when I worked for my brother-in-law for about three years. My husband and I both did. He plays in the NBA and I, I was a private chef for him. And so we kind of just moved everywhere that he went and we like lived with him basically because I was cooking full time and my husband also did all of his management and basketball skills training. So uh, that's just a little bit of a background on why I was in Florida. He just bought a house in Florida. He was spending the off season in Florida. We were with him and I was just trying to learn the city a little bit. We live like right by the beach. And so I had bought myself like a little beach cruiser and I found like a little yoga community on the beach. And so it was a morning yoga class I was headed to. I got on my cruiser. I was with sandals, no helmet. And I made my way down to the beach. It's only 10 minute bike ride. So it's really close. And there's so many bikers. If anyone's ever been to a beach community, it's like basically more bikers than it is uh, cars. Headed down there and it's 7.45 a.m. And all of a sudden, I don't remember what happened, but I do remember feeling like I was floating in the air and then hitting the concrete. And I've come to find out that a nurse, a night nurse, actually, she was coming back from her night shift. She was so tired, she fell asleep at the wheel. And she swerved into the bike lane and totally just like hit me and didn't actually wake up until I was on her windshield. And it was like literally probably her worst nightmare and mine. Um, So next thing I know, I'm like, my head hurt so bad, but I could talk and I was conscious. And we called 911. My like phone was like on the other side of the street. My shoes were on the other side of the street. My towel, like everything was just all over the place. And um, I just asked, can you call my husband? Because I just needed someone there with me. So they ended up calling Troy, my husband. He came rushing there. We went to the hospital right away and they did just a bunch of different tests on me. Um, You know, the drill, they do like MRIs, uh, CT scans, x-rays. They just check for internal bleeding to make sure everything's okay. Uh, The entire time I was in the hospital, I was just bawling, not from pain, not from like being upset that this happened to me, but just gratitude that like, holy shit shit, I'm alive. Like I could not believe that this happened to me and I was alive. Like you should have seen this girl's car. It was completely totaled. Like the front of her car was like gone. And, um, I just kept thinking, I, there there's, I am, I was protected. There was something that happened that I was protected. So after doing a bunch of scans, I had like a small fracture in my, my left foot. It was my whole left side of the body was impacted. So I had like road rash all over my legs and my hips and my shoulder. And then I had a really bad concussion in my head. So they released me after about eight hours and they said, you're just going to be really sore. Just take it easy. Um, but really that's it. And so for the next 
probably, I mean, I still go, but uh, for the next, I would say probably three months, I spent like four days a week at the chiropractor and neurologist office for like four or five hours a day, just like trying to work on my brain, uh, trying to rehab my body. I couldn't move like for probably three weeks. I was just like, my body was so sore and it was impacted so much that I like literally couldn't do anything. And I'm, I'm active. I love yoga. I'm actually a spin instructor. And so the thought of like, holy crap, my life could just have completely changed. And I might not be able to go to my normal life. Like that scared me so much. But at that point, like all I wanted to do is be able to like have a conversation and hold a conversation with someone. So um, I just felt really alone. And I felt really scared. And then fast forward to when you reached out to me, and you can touch on this as well. But like you reached out to me. And we had probably like an hour long conversation and you shared your experience with me. And it was the first time ever that I felt like someone heard me and I felt like, and you were actually ahead of me in the process. So I felt like you gave me hope that like everything was going to be okay. Oh my God. I'm actually crying right now. (laughs) My pregnancy hormones cannot handle this. Um, First of all, thank you so much for sharing because personally, I know when I retell the story, I can get emotional and it triggers a lot no matter how long it's been. So I so appreciate you feeling comfortable enough to share that. Um, And I mean, obviously we had different accidents and there were different circumstances, but I can very heavily relate to the gratitude and the just like, what? Like, I I can't believe that this could have ended so differently. And, you know, I have seen a spiritual healer since I was the age of, I don't, I think like 13. And we have worked very closely my entire life. And I spoke with her very shortly after the accident. And she was like, you know, there was someone watching over you. Like this Mm. was supposed to be much worse. And I remember getting a DM from, I have no idea who they were, like someone in the Freckled Foodie community sent me your story and they were like, hey, I don't know if you follow this girl, but she actually just also got hit by a car and has a really bad concussion. Like, you know, I said, I think the girl said, I sent her your information. I don't know. Like, so I watched your story and I think I just sent you a DM. I don't even remember necessarily. But I was like, hey, I saw that this happened to you. I kind of went through something similar. Happy to chat. And I we spoke on the phone for like an hour. Um, I'm so happy that whatever I told you helped. I don't exactly remember what I told you. But for me, that's been a huge part of what I've gone through. And honestly, my platform as a whole is just sharing my experiences mm-hmm. in hope of potentially helping one person. Because I know when I was in that situation, I felt so afraid and lonely and just absolutely terrified because this was now my sixth concussion. And also, I guess I should also tell my story because I don't mm-hmm. know who's listening to this. If, and I actually get a lot of DMs when I say like, oh, the accident. People are like, what What happened? Um, so, but this was my sixth concussion and it fucking rocked me. And something that is so scary about brain trauma is that there is no definite answer. And it's something that still really scares me because I still struggle with symptoms Mm. and I still think about the future and it it triggers a lot of anxiety for me. And so to rewind, I guess I'll give my very short story, but for me, I, it's funny because I was actually going to yoga class as well. Um, 
I was going to a yoga class on a Friday night after work, which is unheard of in my life because I would never work out after work, especially on a Friday. But one of my favorite instructors and close friends was doing her first class at a new studio that she worked for. And I took the subway to Brooklyn. It was like this awful snowstorm. It was in March and I was walking from the subway. I was a block. I was on like the caddy corner of the studio. So all I had to do was cross one more street. Mm-hmm. I am a historical, pretty bad jaywalker. However, at this time I wasn't on my phone. I was on a crosswalk. I had the green like walk sign. So I was actually doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And the car um, came flying down a parallel street, which would have been fine had he kept going straight. But he turned left. And because of the snow, the street was not well lit. I was in all black. Um, He just did not see me. And he didn't stop when he turned left and hit the side of my body. And in a weird way, and this is something that you said, like the gratitude of it all, like I think about this moment all the time, especially right after the accident, because it could have been so much worse. And when you hear a noise, typically you turn towards the noise, Mm. even like that's just your instinct. Um, And typically your body freezes upon impact, which is why quarterbacks like train to Mm. basically stay loose because it helps with injuries and, you know, not sustaining more intense ones. And for me, I had my AirPods in and my big like Canada Goose hood on. And so even though I had looked both ways, I was midway through the crosswalk. When he turned, I did not hear him or see him. So I didn't turn towards the car and I didn't freeze. And I really think that that changed everything for me. Um, So he hit the side of my body. I hit my, my, side of my body went on to the top of, not the top of his car, but like windshield type top. Um, I hit the right side of my head on his windshield and then I hit the left side of my head on the pavement when I fell off the car. Um, And similar to you, I just kind of like one moment I was walking and the next moment I was looking, I was laying on the ground looking at these headlights and my initial thought was like, holy fuck, this car is going to run over me. So I jumped up and I don't know how you felt about the woman who was driving. But for me, like this guy got out of his car. He was our age, like dressed in like the suit. Like he was a very, you know, he wasn't drunk. I was very aware to like pay attention to his mannerisms. And I was just like, oh my God, this poor guy. He's probably like so stressed. He's probably freaking out. Cause mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, if I took a turn and hit someone, I'd be losing my shit. Um, And the circumstances just sucked for like for everyone involved. So my immediate reaction was like to comfort him almost. And like, you know, obviously my body was sore, but I could tell I didn't break anything and Mm -hmm. concussions sometimes take a little bit of time to set in. Also just the rush of it all. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. So we didn't end up calling, um, the police or an ambulance, honestly, because I didn't want to pay for an ambulance because I thought I was fine and I didn't want to go to a random hospital in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, He walked me to the studio. I sat down with my friend. It then became very clear to me that I was I had another concussion. I called my husband. His like, and that was when I started hysterically crying. Just I was like, I got hit by a car, and the fucking floodgates opened. Um, And then I took an Uber to the hospital next to our apartment, and you know all the same tests and all that. And this is why I think concussions are so difficult. And I'm sorry for my mom because she hates hearing the story, and I know she's like not enjoying this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But this is why concussions are so difficult because in the moment, the doctors are like, okay, your body's fine. The x-rays didn't show anything. Like you're good. You have a concussion. So do you want us to write you a letter like to give your boss almost that you won't be at work for the next few days? And I was like, fuck yeah. I don't have to go to work on Monday. Like (laughs) hell yeah. Write me that letter. And they're like, oh, all right. Like that's it. You'll experience some headaches. I go home. We eat dinner, go to bed. And then I woke up the next morning forgetting what headache, what concussions felt like, like jumped out of bed, turned on all the lights. And all of a sudden I was like, holy fuck. I actually went back to the hospital that day to get another MRI. And luckily there was no internal bleeding. But I mean, I called my boss, told him what happened. I was like, I'm not going to be in the office for a few days. He's like, take your time. I was not at work for two months. I was on disability. Mm -hmm. And like, to be totally honest, that two months should have been way, way longer. But again, the issue with concussions is that there is no end date. People who aren't in your exact body don't understand what you're experiencing. And you might look okay. You look okay from the Mm -hmm. outside for the most part. Like you are somewhat functioning and there is no physical appearance difference. And so for my, and I'm not blaming my boss or anyone involved, but like, and he handled it well, but at the same time, there is this societal pressure of like, okay, but you're fine now. Like, you must be okay by now. Like, mm-hmm. when are you coming back? Mm-hmm. Um, and still, I'm approaching three years, and I still have post-concussion headaches and symptoms, and it it sparks a lot for me. Yeah, I thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know that the people that are really close, like your husband and your your mom and dad probably have a really hard time listening to that. Mine do as well. Um, But the truth is, is like, that's what's made us who we are. So I think it's important to share our story in case anyone else is going through something similar, or even like any sort of trauma to like show that like everything's going to be okay. Um, we're both doing fine. And we learned so much from this situation. But I felt the same way with the person that hit me, I was like, Oh, my gosh, she's a nurse, like, God bless her for like, working so hard. And like, my grandma had had a stroke like two months before. So we spent like, four days in the hospital and I made friends with all the nurses there. So I just had this um, reaction of like, thank you for what you do, like right after she hit me. Uh, So I can completely relate to that. But yeah, I think, um, I think with concussions, it's completely different for everyone. And two months is like nothing with, yeah, it's, it's nothing. Cause like with concussions, you can't be around bright lights. You can't be around noise. So I couldn't even stand up for more than two minutes. Like two minutes was my max for standing up until I got super dizzy. I couldn't go to the grocery store because all the lights and the people and everything around was too much. I couldn't listen to music, like even watching movies and shows, like I couldn't do, didn't have the capacity for that. Yeah. And I didn't even, I couldn't even have a conversation with my husband. I just didn't have, I didn't want to. And so, um, I think that was really hard because you're trying to be that old person that you you were and that you know is inside of you, but your brain can't do it. So physically, you might be able to be excited to go somewhere or do something, but your brain can't. And I still struggle from uh, the concussion symptoms as well as I can't remember a lot of things, which is like, I haven't said that out loud, but it's like really humbling to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm not that like as sharp as I was. And, um, sometimes I find it difficult to express that in certain ways. It's easier now for the people closer to me. Like if, um, 
we're all going to go out and, for example, drink or something like that. This was right after it happened, maybe about five, six months after it happened. Everyone's like, come out, like, let's drink. And it was so hard for me to be like, I can't drink. My body can't handle that. I don't know what you, how you dealt with alcohol, but that was one of the biggest things is after a concussion. And still to this day, it's been two and a half years. I don't, my body does not handle alcohol the same way. And um, I find it hard because I want to, and I, I, I enjoy that, but um, I've, find that it the repercussions for stuff like that really hurts me if I don't get enough sleep if I don't get enough nutrients in my food and all that kind of stuff it really impacts me and I think it was all stemmed from the accident I have so so many thoughts on this so for me thinking back like on the two-month disability is like the easiest period for me to reflect as like recovery because I wasn't in the office. But same thing, like I remember trying to go on a walk a few days after the accident with my mom and just like walking two blocks and being like, I can't do this. Like I have such a bad headache. I feel so dizzy. Like I can't be outside. So I couldn't really be out by light. I, you know, RTV, um, settings were so dark that like you couldn't see anything on the TV. Um, I couldn't be on my phone. Like I joke that Siri knew every aspect of my life because she read and sent all of my texts. Um, I really didn't do anything except for that's when I learned how to meditate and strengthen that practice. And I journaled and I would just like have phone calls with friends all day long while I sat in my apartment and my parents came in a lot and, you know, at that point, Joe was living with me. We were engaged. So, and we had to put a pause on like our wedding planning. There was, it was just like a very Mm. tough period of my life. And when it was almost like when I went back to work because I felt like I had to, that was when I worked for a week and put in my two weeks notice and was like, you know what, this is just not for me. And I think there was a bit of bad blood with certain people and my company because they felt like I took advantage of the disability, you know, like they can believe what they want to believe. Um, but I then feel like I focus so much on like, okay, well now my own boss, I have to launch this freckled foodie company that I really didn't take a step back to be like, you, you are still recovering from a concussion very intensely, like chill the fuck out, girlfriend. And maybe that's why it's taken me so long to fully recover. I don't know, but I then remember, so I obviously, I wasn't drinking at at all during that disability. I remember going to one brunch with a friend who was a freelancer. So she wasn't like working corporate hours. So she spent a lot of time with me during my disability. And we were at a restaurant and I was just like, Em, I can't be here. Like I cannot do this. Um, And it was Bluestone Lane in the West Village. So if you've been, there are like four tables. It's not like a bump in brunch spot. But still just the light, the noise, the sense, everything for me. And I then felt like when I returned to work, it was like, okay, well, you're recovered now. And so I tried to jump back into my past life and I would have so much trouble with the social aspect of things because at this point I was 27 we were engaged. Like we live in the city. All of our friends live in the same area. We would be going out typically all the time and we'd go to these bars and I'm not one to succumb to peer pressure. So I was like totally fine being like, I'm not going to drink. I'm okay. But it was the noise, the late nights, like sleep is huge for me. Honestly, this is something like I'm kind of very nervous about motherhood because I still get post-concussion headaches now if I don't get enough sleep and 
they can last all day and turn to migraines. And it's something I'm just very aware of and nervous about. But for me, going out was a huge, like, just conundrum. And I remember coming home from even just chill, like double dates or dinners and just crying in bed to Joe being like, I feel so broken. And I'm so jealous that like the other female that we were just out with at dinner was able to like have the amount of drinks that I normally would have had. And like, she'll be totally fine tomorrow. And I had one cocktail and I'm already in bed with a headache. And, you know, we, Joe and I had a very, very long talk because we've been dating since we were in high school. Um, he, I joke like party boy Joe, but he's obviously, he loves to have himself a good time as do I. Um, but it kind of turned this point where when we would be out, I'd be like, okay, but I want to go home now. And it would be early. And he's like, wait, but okay, like I'll go home, but like, I don't want to go home yet. And it's this uncomfortable conundrum where I had this internal, dialogue that and story that I had been telling myself that was now like, I'm not the girl that Joe signed up to marry. Like I'm now a different person. And I guess I had internalized that for a bit. And I remember one day we were on a walk and we, I guess we had gone out the night before. I don't even remember. And I turned to him and I was like, do you resent me for no longer being like the fun party girl who like stays out late and like wants to have a good time all the time and like is drunk. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that is not why I want to marry you. That is not why I chose to spend my life with you. Um, I can't believe you would even think that like, absolutely not. But even though he reassured me of those things and I don't believe he feels that way, there still was a lot of stuff I had to work through personally that was, I'm a different person now. And, you know, that comes with many different things. And this is going to potentially change parts of our relationship. But I think for me, I just struggled so much with the like, but this isn't fair because I didn't make this decision. It's not like one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? I would be a better person Mm -hmm. if I was sober. And I don't like the way I feel when I drink. Like, I never had a bad relationship with alcohol. I really liked Mm -hmm. drinking and partying. And I always thought I was very, like, okay with my limits and all that. And I felt like my social life was stripped from me without me having any fucking say in it. Yeah. Yeah, I can 100% relate to you and – it's so hard when you didn't make that decision and you didn't choose for this to be this way. And I think that's it, it, that's one of the hardest things. It's amazing that you have a great support system around you and like for Joe to reassure you that he loves you the way you are. Of course, the people around us will and the people around us. And it, that's really also a, truly a time when we get to know like who our real friends are. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. It was telling. Of friendships, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's wild, and uh, the people that check in on you every day, and the people that stay by your side, regardless of that night where you want to go home early, uh, that is it, it. It really comes to light. Um, but I I couldn't agree more, and it's still really hard to this day because I've 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 also changed a lot in that way. I can't handle a lot of like crazy things that I used to be able to. I was also a very go 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 person. Um, like from one project to the next, um, you know, working seven days a week, never taking time off. And the whole accident, especially I think the first two months when I couldn't do anything and I was 
back when I was talking about how I couldn't watch TV or listen to music or anything, I did similar to you. The only, really the only thing I did was journal and meditate. And that was the only thing that my brain could handle. So with visualization practices, so like I would close my eyes and I would just like try to imagine myself like walking and being on the beach and then going for a run. And then I would picture myself teaching a spin class and I would picture myself like out laughing with friends. And I would just kind of close my eyes and try to picture all of that happening. And then same with my journaling exercise. I, I would just write down like, I just got back from a one mile run on the beach and it was sunny outside. I mean, like, and I was just sitting on my couch and I couldn't move, but I was just kind of writing all of this out. And I think that really helped me in my brain. Um, and you know, a lot of this is all mental too. It's like how how can we kind of reconstruct our mind to kind of visualize what we want to do for ourselves? But that those two months when that's all I could do is I really like was present. And it was the first time I wasn't on my phone, like you said, too. And I wasn't distracted with all these different projects. And so from that moment forward now for the next two and a half years, I have completely shifted my life and I take breaks a lot. I watch the sunset a few nights a week. I would never make time for this type of stuff. But you just realize when you go, your body goes through trauma like this, A, life is so precious and B, we deserve it. And I think it's important for us to slow down a little bit and just like enjoy the moment. Like you, I know you read and like just enjoy shows on TV with Joe. I do the same thing with my husband and there's nothing better than, than being able to slow down and like saying no to things and um, like not succumbing to peer pressure, like you said. So I think all in all, it's like, it was the best thing that's happened to me. And it's crazy that I can say that now, but I've had to do a lot of work to get to that point. But I do think that it was just a moment of realization of like, I see a lot of signs in things. And it's crazy because when that accident happened for me, I heard a voice in my head that said, go on the sidewalk, which is like so crazy. And it kept saying, go on the sidewalk because I was in the bike lane. And I didn't listen to it because I was like, I was kind of like talking back to the voice in my head. I'm like, dude, like I'm on the bike path. I'm good. Like there's people walking on the sidewalk. It's going to be awkward if I go and ride my bike on the sidewalk and have to like dip and dodge people. And I didn't listen. And if I look back on it now. I'm like, wow, I think, I think the universe sends us signs. And so being present is also a way to like receive those signs a little bit. And and since I've been doing that in the last two and a half years, I've realized that a lot of things have come my way by chance. And um, it's, it's neat to kind of touch, touch in with that. If, if you, I don't know if you relate at all. I don't feel like I experienced any signs in that moment, but I totally believe that like the universe sends us certain things and it's how you accept them. And, you know, I really relate to what you said of the gratitude of it all, because for me, I, it's changed my life. Well, well, so many things that you said, a, like, I do think of the accident as a, like, almost like a before Christ, after Christ, like there was my Mm -hmm. before accident life and there's my after accident life. And not only did it change my appreciation for such small things, but it has quite literally changed every aspect of my life. I slow down now. Like I, I was the person that was getting up at four thirty in the morning to, like, drink all my concoctions, take a poop, get to the gym by five, work out, get to my desk by six forty-five. 
spend a full day at work, come home. Like it was jam packed all day. I never took a break. I worked seven days a week. I was a psycho. I didn't believe in rest. Um, and I actually said, people kept asking me like, are you so overwhelmed? You're working at this intense job, you're planning a wedding and you have this like food account that you're trying to grow. And I said so many times, I don't feel overwhelmed, but it's almost like I'm running with a blindfold on and I know I'm going to hit a wall. I just don't know when. So for now, I'm just going to sprint. And my friends and I joke because I said it to so many people. It's like, well, okay, well, the wall was a fucking car and it was going to hit me. Um, And for me, it also just changed the gratitude I have for my emotions. And I tapped into this new part of myself that I don't think I knew existed. Um, I used to be a very harsh, critical bitch is the term I resonate with the most. And I obviously still have that side of me. Like if you cross me or someone I love, it will come out. No, no questions asked. However, I think I'm much kinder to myself and therefore others. And it has changed even just emotionally. My friends, my best friends from elementary school, we were on one of their bachelorette trips and I was like hysterically crying over something like because we were tell I made everyone tell the bride like why we loved her. I don't know. And they were like, who are you? Like you did not show emotion your entire life. And now you're this like cries at the like drop of a pin. Let's talk about our feelings type of person. They joke that I transferred from like Cammy to Cameron. And it's honestly all because of the accident. And because of that and because of the changes I've made in my life and the career path that it's led me to, I feel the same sense of gratitude towards the accident. And it's funny because for me, when I tell my story, if someone asks like, oh, how'd you get into this? It's such a pivotal moment. I have to include it. And I still am trying to like figure out the wording for it because I'm like, and then a life-changing moment happened. I got hit by a car, but I'm okay. Um, But I actually wrote, I'll tag it in the show notes, but I wrote a like thank you letter to the person who hit me. I never gave it to him. Um, And I have no bad blood with the person. Like, you know, I didn't file any, there wasn't any lawsuit. There was none of that. Like his insurance covered majority of my expenses and we kind of just moved on from there. But I feel a very odd sense of gratitude towards him for changing my life because I know wholeheartedly if the accident had not happened, I would still be at JP Morgan. I would still be climbing the corporate ladder in like this blinders on, time is money, don't fuck with me, don't take, like, don't get in my way. I'm the only person that matters mentality. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's amazing. I love that you wrote the thank you letter to him. That's a really powerful exercise. That's that's like, I love that you did that. I agree that we um, can get in touch with our emotions a little bit afterwards, after trauma, because uh, there are so many emotions. I remember I felt sadness and then I felt real anger, like anger towards myself. Like, why did I leave the yep. house at that exact time? Why didn't I cross the street the other side? Whatever it may be. So going through those emotions and acknowledging them and being like, why do I feel this emotion? That's really, really powerful. But like you said, one of the biggest things that I learned is like a concussion, no one can see that. And with me, like I had a broken foot, I had a boot on, you can have a boot on for just about anything. 
when I would go out of the grocery, like at the grocery store grabbing groceries, no one knew what I was going through. And it was that moment that I realized that every single person that we pass by on the street has their own damn story. And every single person is so fucking strong out there. No one knows your battles. No one knows what you're going through behind closed doors. Those nights where you cried in bed, I did the same. And no one knows that. It's just you and yourself. So it just helps me like have kindness towards others and like be nice and and, and just like spread a little bit of, of positivity within the world because I knew that everyone had their own battle. So that was like one of my biggest lessons. I totally agree. And honestly, this is something that is so terrifying when it comes to brain trauma is that you can't tell. And, you know, you look at all these athletes who were just like thrown right back in and I was one of those. You know, I hit a point Mm -hmm. where in college, if I had one more that they told me it was potentially going to have to like no longer be – me being an athlete was going to potentially have to be no longer a thing. Um, But – it's it really does have such a large lasting impact and i don't think that there's a, there's finally now being stuff done for it um but it's i think for me the hardest part was that i was struggling so internally and no one was aware because if again if i had been on crutches you know people are like oh mm-hmm. let me help you do this let me what can i do to help what, what can i bring you let me help you bring your groceries to the car those are such small things mm-hmm. but there was no offering of any of that for the most part by especially the outside world um but even by the people closest to you in your life like you hit a point personally i did where i'm like how much longer can I still talk about this without people being like, shut the fuck up, Cammie. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're fine, you know? And, and then you internally struggle with that. Like, well, I'm still suffering, but you almost feel guilty for complaining because you look fine. And, you know, who are they to know that you're still going through it? And it, it's really just isolating and lonely. And I think that that's also another reason why, aside from the scientific aspect of it all, but brain trauma leads to so much depression. And for me, it sparked a ton of anxiety. It's when I officially went on anxiety medication. Um, I definitely was depressed through spells of it. And it's just really lonely. So for anyone who's listening, if you've been through this or you're in it, like you're not alone. That is the most important thing I can tell you. There is hope and light at the end of the tunnel. It just, unfortunately, your life might look differently, but I think Jazz and I have spoken to the many different benefits that we found through this process. So hopefully that's encouraging. But I'm also curious, Jazz, just for anyone who is listening who's going through this, like were there things that helped you personally in a healing process so that we can provide some tangible like information? Yeah, I, I agree with you. If anyone ever needs to talk about it, we're I'm here. We're here to chat about Same. it because because like what with what Cameron did for me, it was uh, life changing for me. Like it was absolutely life changing how you opened up and and gave me an hour of your time, and it just helped me uh, realize that everything was going to be okay. But I touched on this earlier: the visualization exercise of just kind of like closing my eyes and like imagining parts of my body healing and my like knee moving in a range of motion that I wanted it to move meditation. Uh, I downloaded this app. I'm not sponsored at all, but I just really love it. It's called the simple habit app. And I used that a lot. So I would look up, they have like these like 
trauma meditations or like how to gain happiness or like how to let go of anxiety, like seven day series on stuff like that. And it kind of just like walks you through breathing and things that you can kind of incorporate in your life. And I still to this day, every single day I meditate and I started right after the accident. It was one thing that um, really helped me like kind of calm down. So meditation, journaling, oh my gosh, I think gratitude journaling was one of the biggest things. So I had this journal and I still have it and I look back on it from time to time. But every day I forced myself to write down 20 things that I was extremely grateful for. And this was like very, this was like right when I could move. So a lot of people would look at that and be like, I don't have anything to be grateful for. But I always found 20 things, whether it was like my cat laying on my, on my lap or my husband bringing me a tea or like waking up in the morning, I would like always write down like I woke up today and I like moved from my bed to the couch or like I put some shorts on today. There's always something to be grateful for. That gratitude exercise is something that I also still do. So a lot of the practices that I started incorporating into my life right after the accident, I still to do to this day. And I think that it has a huge impact on my mind. I totally agree. It's when I learned how to meditate and I've meditated every day since the accident, like since that week after the accident with the exception of one day. Um, And I'll link the episode that I did with my meditation teacher, Emily Fletcher. Um, But you know, the school I went to is an investment. And I think it's a very easy starting point for people to just download the app like Headspace or Calm and just start there. Like it doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. I too journaled a ton and I reflect back on those journals all the time. I love reading them because it was such a pivotal moment of my life. And it was when I was also toying with the idea of quitting my job and just what does this all mean for me? And I still journal every day. I I praise you for being able to write 20 things you're grateful for. I write down three. <laughs> um, and I'm really trying to be better right now during my pregnancy. Like I wish I had been journaling more. I just haven't had the energy. So I'm trying to get back into the free journal aspect of everything. Um, And then also like a physical thing for me, I know you mentioned you did physical therapy, but I did craniosacral craniosacral therapy. And I forget if I told you about this when we talked. I think you did, but explain it. So I'm going to totally fuck this up because I never know the details (laughs) or signs of anything. Um, But there... For me, I'm very receptive to body work. I always have been. And I think that it takes a certain type of person to be very receptive to it all. You have to believe in certain things. But again, because I've been working with a spiritual healer for so long, she's done forms of somewhat Reiki, but hands-on. So I've always been able to tap into that aspect of healing. And when I was in college, um, my one of our trainers who was dedicated to our team was getting licensed in myofascia release, which is also called MFR, which if you're not familiar with, basically your fascia is a spider web, if you want to think of it, um, between your skin and your muscle. So when you have a knot, basically that's your fascia that's joined kind of together and has to be released. And so MFR is a physical treatment, I guess would be the term, where the um, practitioner's hands are on you. So it's not like Reiki. Um, And it starts with like a very slight movement and then your body almost just unwinds. And you can look up videos on YouTube of people receiving MFR because I really am struggling with finding the words to explain it. But my trainer was telling me that she was getting trained in it. And my trainer knew about my um, spiritual healer because I would actually go home. I had a few uh, 
injuries in college, one of which I like punctured my eardrum and you know, at that moment, I'm sure I had a concussion, but I just refused to admit it. And I couldn't hear for a week or longer. And like the only, they knew like go home and they would literally send me home. Be like, you have to go see your woman. Like she will help more than we can. (laughs) So my trainer, because she knew I was receptive, started practicing MFR on me in the very early stages of her training. And your body just kind of starts to rock and unwind and release tension that's being held. It's a magical, incredible, I think, very helpful practice. And craniosacral therapy is comparable, in my opinion, um, because they're similarly working on the on specifically though on your brain. So if you think about post-trauma, like the movement that's actually happening in your head is so intense and your brain has bounced around and it's such a important but also sensitive, uh, is a brain an organ, a muscle? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like if I think about my first concussion, I was in sixth grade and I thought I could do it back handspring and I told my whole like grade before school started, I was like, yeah, I'm the shit. I did it last night. My mom's friend was the one that actually was spotting me. I was like 70 pounds. And so I told everyone I could do it. They all circled around me and I basically did a back dive onto my head on cement. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Awful. Threw up everywhere right away. Ringing of the ears. Like it was really intense. And I had two black eyes, even though I hit the back of my head, like the brain hit the back and came forward so hard. So there is so much movement happening inside your brain during- and, or your head when you have physical trauma like that. So craniosacral therapy is working with like a hands-on treatment on your head that's trying to almost like, I, I really wish I could explain this, but kind of readjust the movements and the fluid and like the rhythm of everything. So I randomly was going to yoga class I, when I was recovering, but I was still having headaches. And I think I told the instructor, like, by the way, I had a concussion a few months ago. Like, it's a hot yoga class. I just want to give you a heads up. And she was like, oh, I just had one recently. This man changed my life. And so I went to see him. If you're in New York, his name is Jim Harwood. I'll put all of this information in the show notes. Um, he was incredible for me. But finding a practitioner, depending on where you live, I would just say, like, look into it. It's worth trying. It helped me a ton. and. Jazz, I assume you agree with concussions. Like I'm willing to try anything. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like to your to your point, the body work is so important. I did um, physical therapy. I did chiropractic care. I did like neurological stuff, like brain games and stuff to try to keep my um, head right. I did cupping. I did massage. Um, I didn't do acupuncture. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for everyone too, like everyone's bodies are different. So I would say try all of that and see what works for you, what sticks. I still go to the chiropractor every month. I still get cupping every month and I still get a massage every month. And it's just something that's a non-negotiable for me. It's be it, And so I think that it's important to like find out what works for you, but that cranial sacral therapy sounds really interesting. And I think I would love to give that a try. Yeah. I wish I was still doing it every now and then. Like I think about it all the time. I love a good massage. And I told myself I was going to do it once every like four to six weeks. And I then hadn't been great. I I kind of was. And then obviously with COVID now I'm in, New- I haven't done mm-hmm. it and pregnancy, it's all I want. Um, 
just because my body is so <laughs> achy and sore. So I need to get back on my body work. Um, I know. He's been giving me foot massages. He, he's trying his best. Um, I know you, your account is focused on food. We haven't talked about food at all, but to wrap it up, <laughs> we have to dive into food. So what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Okay. I love food. You know that. Um, I don't know. Have you ever had Persian food? Not really. Not okay. pro- like properly. No. So like Persian food, basically all it is, is just like some saffron rice with some crispy rice and uh, like a stew of some sort, like an herbed stew of some sort. So three ways through uh, uh, um, to my heart through food. One would be Tadik. And if there's any Persians that are listening, you know exactly what this is. Tadik translates as the crispy part of like the bottom of the rice. And it's like crispy rice with like maybe like a little bit of stew on top or like dipped in some plain yogurt. I know that sounds crazy, but if there are Persians out there, they know what I'm talking about. And it's like gold, like people fight over it at like our, our uh, gatherings and stuff. So Tadik, yeah, it's really good. If you ever get the chance, definitely try out some Persian food. So Tadik. And then um, I'm like a big sucker for like really, really thin pizzas. So like Joe's style pizza. So really thin pizza, any pizza, I'll take any toppings. It doesn't matter. Um, And then lastly, of course, some sweets of some sort. And I think that I would probably have to say, I know this is going to be weird. I don't know if anyone's ever said this before, but whipped cream. (laughs) (laughs) That is so random. It's something that I actually just like hate. (laughs) So like, sometimes like I'll have whipped cream by itself no judgment it's so good but (laughs) other times like I love it on like a warm brownie or ice cream or something like that so whipped cream is my last one holy shit okay wait I have to ask follow-up questions um I am like not a whipped cream person at all which is kind of surprising giving my love for sweets but are you talking like out of the box? Like what type of whipped cream? I need more specifics. Okay. Well, I kind of like all kinds of whipped cream, but like if I really can get picky, it'd be like homemade, like cr- whipping cream that's been like whipped, like in a, like with a blender. Do you know what I mean? Like okay. with a, yeah, with with a hand blender. Yeah. Like really whipped cream. But like also I'm not, I don't discriminate. I love like I love all sorts of whipped cream. So like the dairy-free coconut whips, those are fun. Um, the ones out of the can, like I'll, I'll take some of that. Like growing up, were you spraying Cool Whip out of the can into your mouth? Were you 1, like someone that thousand percent. And then <laughs> when people weren't looking, I'm like, I'm just going to take a little more. Because like I definitely had friends that would do that, and I was. It's not that I was judging them, because like I'd be the girl eating the full pint of ice cream, but I just had no interest in it. Like it just does not do it for me. That's so surprising because it kind of. I mean, it's a lighter consistency than ice cream, but it is somewhat similar. Totally. That's why I'm actually surprised by myself. Um, okay, that's I think probably the best answer I've ever received. So thank you for that. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on here and for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable and open and honest. I'm sure this will help so many. For everyone who's listening who wants more of your content, where should they follow you? 
So uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to share my story. If anyone ever wants to talk to me, I'm probably the most active on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is just recipes for health. But the four is with the number four. And then um, I do stories and stuff all the time and posts all the time. But like, Truly, my recipe content is what is uh, what is what I post more of, and then just my website is jazzrecipesforhealth.com. Again, the four is with the number four, and I just launched some online cooking classes that I'm really excited about. So, if you want to do, some, yeah, if you want to do like Zoom classes and like sign up with your friends or like make a date night out of it, the comfort of your own home, I'll send you the grocery shopping list. And um, like exactly what you need to make the recipe. And then we kind of cook everything together start to finish. And the cool thing about that is like you end the night with a meal for yourself or with whoever you want. So I just launched those. You can find those on my website. Amazing. Thank you so much. All of that will be in the show notes, you guys. So don't worry if you didn't catch any of it. Jazz, thank you for being on here. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I wish you the best with your continuing recovery journey. Thank you so much. I wish you the best as well. Hello from New York City. I feel like I'm hosting Saturday Night Live. Um, That'd be fun. If I was like a comedian, that'd definitely be a dream. I am recording from my apartment. Bless the motherfucking up. I'm so happy to be back. Um, I'm recording this currently on Wednesday. So we came in back to the city on Saturday. And I think like... Obviously, I'm aware that my platform grew over the past year. It like doubled, I think is safe to say, in size. So there are a lot of new faces in freckled foodie land. And I think people are very confused. Like, bitch, where the fuck do you live? And I get that. So for anyone who's wondering, I live in Manhattan in the West Village with my husband. Um, But when COVID was – like for context, when COVID was about to come to the U.S. and – we didn't know really the extent of it or what it was. We were supposed to go on a family trip to Brazil and we called it off the Wednesday before we were supposed to leave on a Friday or Saturday. And so all my whole family had vacation days. My parents were at their house in Florida. So we were like, okay, well, let's just go to Florida. And if God forbid we get stuck there for like a two-week quarantine, like that's fine. We'll just be at my parents' house. And 70 days later, we were still in Florida. So then when we left to come home, it was the summer and we were like, I guess let's just live in like my parents in my childhood home because we have space and Joe's been working from home this entire time and his job is a lot of like presentations and meetings and all that kind of stuff and with me cooking and recording and on my phone talking to it all the time and Charlie, our one bedroom is just like not that equipped for both of our jobs to work cohesively. So we've been living at my parents. Obviously, none of us knew that this was going to last this long. So it was officially to the day, 11 months on Saturday when we came back that we had not lived in our home. And we'd come back like for day trips for my doctor's appointments. And at one point we stayed here for a week, but I mean, like not living out of a suitcase, 11 months or living out of a suitcase, whatever. So we came back. It was a shit storm of a day. Let me tell you, we came, we somehow accumulated a lot of shit in 11 months because every time that we'd stop into the city for something, for an appointment, we'd be like, oh, well, I need this or I have to grab this or I need these jackets. And somehow like my entire wardrobe had moved to Jersey. 
And I never thought to bring anything back to New York every time we came. So we had the car stuffed to the brim, so much so that we were like, where do we put Charlie? And he had to sit on my lap. Um, And then we just had a ton of boxes here of stuff we had ordered and stuff that had been sent. And we decided to purge our apartment. So Saturday was a little wild. But I'm just so happy to be back. I know I've talked about this. But like for me, my mental health definitely – has been a struggle recently, just feeling very isolated and lonely. Um, Being in the suburbs is something that I one day want, but that's way in the future with a family and children and like a life that I want to start there. And now is not that time for me personally. And being there, especially during a pandemic, with just Joe and I and like his work being very busy, you know, so much of my work in typical non-COVID times is like meetings and events and doing things and like doing stuff around the city that's like encompassing my work. And obviously none of that was happening, but also like we live on a busy street and there's no sidewalk. And so I wouldn't really leave the house to go for walks, which is on me, but like still. And I would notice I'd go four or five days without leaving. And it's not like New York where you just step out your door and you're like, oh, I have to run to Whole Foods or grab a coffee or something. Um, I don't know. I, I just felt so fucking lonely. So I'm so happy to be back. Obviously, we are still taking our COVID precautions. Um, I won't let be seeing anyone indoors except for Lucy and Tyler, and that's still with masks on. And then I'm seeing my friends for walks outside with masks. I feel comfortable doing that. And that has brought me so much joy. I've already seen three friends for walks and it just makes all the difference. Like having that personal connection, it's honestly making me realize how lonely I was now that I'm back. And again, I know we've talked about the mental health aspect of COVID and the impact, but it really does scare me for the lasting impact it is potentially having on our society, specifically younger generations. Um, So it's just something I've been thinking about a lot. And I hope if you're listening and you're feeling alone or isolated, you know, A, you're definitely not alone in feeling that. You might physically be alone, but you are not alone in feeling those emotions. And B, like finding small things that you feel safe and comfortable doing that still are following guidelines honestly makes such a difference. And even just like the idea of having a plan, if it's like a 20 minute walk with a friend, like just having a plan to do something feels so different right now that for me, it just feels incredible. Um, So that's like my life update. We did have some listener cues. The first one is, when do you think you will indulge smoke edibles and tequila? I don't know because I still don't really know how this all works. Like post-delivery, I obviously know that if I'm breastfeeding, like I can't be doing all that stuff and then immediately breastfeed. Um, So, I mean, you can obviously have like a margarita. People are going to come at me. But like you can have a margarita. I, I, I heard that it was equivalent to like, you know, you wouldn't. Well, I actually wouldn't have one sip of alcohol and drive because I'm anal about that. But I heard it was equivalent of like, you know, your BAC being below like a 0.08. So either way, I don't know. I I think a margarita will be my first. The weed thing will be later on. Um, I don't know when though. I, I haven't thought that far. I still can't fathom 
that I'm like going to be responsible for a human. Um, and then the other question that I wanted to touch on was when did you and Joe move in together and how did you make that decision? So we graduated in 2013 and I don't exactly know dates, but I kind of think this is the right timeline. Um, I lived in this same apartment that we live in now, but with one of my best friends from high school. And we lived together for two years. So like June of 2013 to June of 2015. And then Joe at that time was living with two roommates. And after Amy moved out, I I was like, I really want to live alone before we live together. Like that was something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to live alone. And he very much still wanted to live with his friends. So there was no like argument around that. So then I lived alone for a year. So that brings us to like the summer of 2016. And then I think that fall is when he moved in. Yes, because then we would have been living together for a year. And then he proposed the fall of 2017 and we got married the fall of 2018. So I'm pretty sure it was like three and a half years out of college um, for us. There was no rush to move in together. A, like I've talked about this before, but when we graduated college, we weren't necessarily together and we were figuring out our relationship. So obviously it would not have been healthy for us to move in together. Um, But even once we were back together and in a better, more stable place, neither of us were rushed to move in together because we still like, we live very cohesively independent lives where like, we obviously, you know, pre-COVID times, we have our girls' nights, our guys' nights. Luckily, like, all of our friends are friends, and we're friends with all of each other's friends. But still, like, we do things on our own because I think that's really important. I don't think it's healthy to only do things that involve your significant other. Like, you do need a life of your own. And we both very, very much believe in that. And so, I don't know. That was a huge part of it, like, having our own space, our own lives, you know, growing in our own ways, obviously, hopefully on parallel tracks. And we just weren't rushed by it. You know, so many people had opinions. Everyone's like, you've been dating for so long. Why don't you live together? Like, Okay, but I'm still young. Like, it doesn't matter how long we've been dating. I'm still 22, 23 years old. Um, And eventually then he moved into this apartment. And so now we've been here since, I guess, mid-2016. I would say that it was definitely something we discussed after I lived, like once I was living alone and also I I always give this context, like in the beginning, we definitely spent more time in this apartment, but still it's not like we did not have sleepovers every night whatsoever, especially with like my work schedule. And, you know, if, if he was going out on a weeknight, like I went to bed way earlier than him. So if I was going out, whether it was with him or without him, like I was still in bed earlier than he would have been. So I would say we probably had like one, definitely one weeknight sleepover, maybe two, but it wasn't like, oh, we basically live together and have separate and pay separate rents. This is stupid. Like we didn't really hit that point until when I lived alone, he basically would live here on the weekends, but still like weeknights, it wasn't like he lived here. Like I honestly don't think he kept stuff here until so late in. And we were like, why has this taken us so long for you to do? for like sporadic sleepovers, this would be very helpful. I hope that answers your question. I would say it's not something you want to rush into, definitely. 
And, you know, I think conversations have to be had before you move in with a partner, specifically financials. That's a huge thing to discuss of like, where do you stand financially? Like, do you have debt? Do you like, what is your typical spending? What are your spending habits? Like, how are we doing all this? That's another question I've gotten a lot of like, how did you guys split stuff before you got married? And, you know, obviously people still split stuff. When we got married, we joined all of our finances. Um, but bef- and honestly, we did that during our engagement because I had to claim dependency for uh, benefits when I quit my job. But when we were dating, we split everything 50-50. And like we both felt very comfortable and believed that that was like the right thing to do. That's our personal decision. The best system that we found was using Splitwise. So every month, like if we were spending money, if like someone got dinner or someone like got groceries or whatever it may be, and when we were living together, like all those appliances, like toilet paper, rent, like that kind of stuff, we would put it into Splitwise throughout the month. And then at the end of the month, it tells you who owes who money and how much. And it like levels the whole thing out. And so you just make one Venmo transaction at the end of the month. It's not like we're Venmoing every single time we spend a dollar. So that's how we decide to do it. I know couples have very different opinions on all of this it, to each their own, but I think it's an absolutely important conversation before you move in because it's not something that you want to come up when you've already signed a lease, you're living together, and all of a sudden you realize like someone spends way differently than you and they expect you to do something that you didn't think was going to happen. Like it's just something that needs to get out in the open. Um, also just like living standards, like how clean are you? Like, what do you consider clean? What, like, do things have a place? You know, we've adapted to each other, but I mean, when I compare Joe now to like high school Joe that I knew when we were dating, I would show up to his room and literally his laundry would be on the floor or in his bed that his mom had done and folded for him and not put away for like, it was a tornado. Like he never put his shit away. It used to drive me crazy. Now he's like as psycho anal clean as I am. So clearly we adapt. Um, But I hope that helps. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know it was a little heavy, but I found the conversation incredibly healing for me, even though I feel like I am so far from the accident in a time manner of things when I look at it. Like it's been almost three years, but still having the conversation clearly makes me emotional and brings up a lot of stuff for me. And I'm so grateful that Jazz was so honest and vulnerable and open to share her story and also provide a space for me to comfortably share mine. So overall, my voice just cracked, but I'm not crying. Overall, I loved the episode. I hope you did as well. If you were going through something and you're in your healing process, remember it is not linear and I hope this helped you. I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Also, I know I've shared about this on my Instagram, but like not a ton on here. If you guys are avid listeners of the show and are interested in more, check out my Patreon. I will link it in the show notes. Um, There are three separate tiers, but if you join the second tier, which I believe is $7.99 a month, so if you're like someone that's getting all these oat milk lattes, it's one oat milk latte a month, and you get access to close friends on Instagram for like some behind the scenes, random content, but an additional Q&A every month for Unfiltered Day on the 15th, and then you also get an additional podcast episode on the third Wednesday of every month. So there's been a solo episode that I did. I had one of my best friends, Deanna, on to talk about our friendship evolving as I become a mother and just being in different stages of our lives and how relationships can impact friendships and 
just society beliefs that like you need to get married even though you might not want to and her stance on all that. And we have a very in-depth conversation on that. And then Lucy just came on for the third one and we answered some of your guys' submitted questions, talked about how excited she is to be an aunt. I shared some life updates that have been kind of Patreon only right now. So check it out if you're interested. Obviously, I never want to pressure anyone to spend money All of the content you are consuming right now will continue to be at your fingertips for free. But if you want the additional, there is an option. I hope you have a great weekend and goodbye for now. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.